Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, Protecting Project Pulp, and the all-new Far-Fetched Fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome. Hello and welcome to show 393. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. We have one bit of fiction today in the show, and that's it. But this is just sweet as a nut. It is 12 and Tag by Gregory Brossett. But before that, don't forget, this show is sponsored by Octagon Technology. Hosted Exchange and off-site backups are compliant with the UK Data Protection Act. Octagon Technology is now able to supply hosted exchange, hosted exchange servers for solicitors and legal firms in the UK who need to use the criminal justice secure email and the very good friends of Starship Sober, Clive and Diane. Thank you so much. So yes... Just before we get into the show, a couple of things. It is cooking on gas here, man, in the UK. It's unreal. Do you know what I mean? It's just so hot. Wow. It's like, you know, when you kind of see cook eggs on pavements, I mean, we know any of that. But, you know, for, for us northerners in north of England, you know what I mean? We, 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 the sun's out. There's, there's a first. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's quite nice, just to see the sun. So, yes, we're having a lovely time. As well, don't forget, I do the kind of Starship Sofa HQ, which is the videos. And just straight after this, I'm going to do one, which I'm actually quite looking forward to doing. The Why People Don't Like Science Fiction Literature. Mm. So you can, once that's up, you can come over there and watch that at Starship Sofa HQ on YouTube. But we're here for a story, and what a story. 12 and Tag by Gregory Bossett which was originally published in Asimov's. I'll give you a little kind of heads up, and Gregory's wrote a great little post, and it's a nice little bit of kind of history of what he's up to as well. He began writing fiction in 2009 at the age of 47. Never too old, you see. After artists Ian McCraig and Dermot Power dared me to write a screenplay, I wrote two and then tried my hand at short stories, the second of which sold at Asimov's science fiction. After that, I was hooked. My story, The Telling, originally published in Beneath the Skies, won the 2013 World Fantasy Award for Short Fiction. And my story, Bloom, from December 2013 issue of Asimov's, was a finalist for the Theodore Sturgeon Memorial Award. My day job is filmmaking. Currently, I wrangle spaceships and superheroes at the legendary Industrial Light and Magic in San Francisco. Oh, man, what a cool job. The film pro- my film projects include Beowulf, Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, Lucy and the up-and-coming Tomorrowland and Avengers Age of Ultron. For more information about my independent film projects, music and experimental music instruments and my writing can be found at suddensound.com. 12 and Tag, which we're going to play now, 
My sixth story for Asimov Science Fiction Magazine was originally drafted at the 2010 Clarion Writers Workshop. The game of 12 and Tag has some loose roots in writing exercises from Anne and Jeff Vandermeer and George R. Martin. Much more of the inspiration came from the mutual trust under pressure evident in my fellow students and instructors there, not to mention a few raucous late nights of tall tales and empty bottles. It is, more than anything else, about how we are continually and communally fabricating culture and identity. Greg, like I say, this is a cracking story. Thank you so much. And it is narrated by Jonathan Sharp, who just does a stunt. Jonathan, thank you so much. So... The Starship Sova is very proud to present. Twelve and Tag by Gregory Norman Bossert. Originally published in Asimov Science Fiction, March 2015. Read by Jonathan Sharp. Twelve and Tag, we shouted, and Chang added. You two know it? Zant lowered his brows and frowned. Audra shook her head, looked around at us. She did that, searched faces for clues about what was expected of her. You mean T-A-G? Like T-Complete Associative Gestalt? Crew's got the sort of money for neural backup, she asked? Chang said, not tech, it's a bar game, a slam, a rap. Zant's brows lowered further over pale eyes. An improvised impression, and then you tell stories. The worst thing, the stupidest thing, most painful thing you've ever done. Or kindest, added Nava, back from the bar with drinks balanced in both hands. And to our chorus of complaints, that's the way we do it. On, On Mars, Mars, we shouted. The crew of the Tethys. All but Audra and Zant. They weren't really crew yet, not until this was done. This ain't Mars, Orit said, and bounced her head off the window behind her. Layers of clear composite, and beyond it, the flat, flat beige of Europa. Jupiter's fat belly propped on the horizon. Something we do, Perlman rumbled. Breaks the ice, or it said, to groans. All we did was break the ice, down to the ocean that lay underneath Europa's surface. It's not just the ice that breaks, Cheng said. Doing what we do. His fingers mimed something snapping. It's equipment, people, whole ships sometimes. Gotta know each other. Gotta trust, Nava said. She was harpoonist, which these days meant piloting a remote vehicle on a two-kilometer cable. And as if to make up for that, everything about her was sharp. She gave Audra a sharp smile now, and flicked it at Zant. Audra was second shift pilot, had been for two months. Lean and gray, swept back eyes so dark they seemed opaque, or empty. This was her first shore leave with us. She'd come in mid-mission after her predecessor had lost an arm in a blowout. Our assayer had just lost his nerve after that. That's the position Zant had just dropped into, literally. He'd landed in system that morning from who knows where, resume in hand, ship equals Tethys, scrawled in the margin. He hung over the table like Jupiter over the surface of the window, blonde hair swept back onto broad shoulders, something in the hard lines of his face keeping him from easy handsomeness. Otter and Zant were already assigned by the captain, but contracts could be revoked or applicants left stranded if the crew decided against the hire. That's why we were here. We? The crew? Perlman was mate, solid, methodical, the wall between the captain and the rest. He left the running of the things to Chang, he's navigator, and you, she's main shift pilot. Even the captain deferred to those two. Chang, he was always in motion, always quick to find the right words. You was always still, always looking out, into the deep, 
somehow saw everything anyway. Or it was Cook. That's not a junior role, not on a ship that spends six months at a time under the ice. She was likely to be at the bottom of any trouble or atop another crew member. But she always cleaned up her own mess. Who else? Nava you already know. Patel was there, engineer. And most of the hands, Keita and Barb, Dighton and Sintra. We filled all the spots around one long, battered table, driving the other patrons into the corners or up to the bar. It was all deep ocean crew in this place. There were other bars for the spacers, administrators, tourists. And if any of these wandered in here, they'd be driven out soon enough by the noise and the roughhousing and the smell that clung of Europa's strangest secret ocean. That ocean was thick with alien viruses, with complex hydrocarbons that triggered fatal autoimmune reactions. With larger creatures that fed on the sludge and on each other, and on us, we scooped the sludge, trapped the creatures, sold the lot to brokers who sold it in turn to universities and corporations. The outer system was one big boom town, bigger than the whole damn inner system by orders of magnitude, by any metric. So we tell a story, Audra said. Two stories, you said. One of them true, one of them false. And then we go around the table and vote on which was the lie. A bit, Zant asked. A confirmation, Chang added. Perlman nodded, rumbled agreement. Though if we guess right, you buy a round, Orit added. Chang said, I'll go first, so you know how it goes. He laced his fingers together, closed his eyes a beat, opened his eyes and hands, and took a breath. No twelve and tag for Chang, the crew knew him too well. But if there had been, the tag would be flight. Fragile bones spread under his face like bird's wings. Bird's eyes, too, black and always flitting. Fingers light and fast on the ship consoles, on the table here. Hard to imagine him anywhere but out, doing anything but nav. But he'd been a singer back on Earth. The crew knew his stories. Stupidest, then, Chang started. I was with the captain out at Saturn, a dozen years ago. Ice mining in the rings. I was young, though I knew the ship. Thought I knew the system. So we found a vein heavy with tholins. A fleeting glance up at Zant, who gave a slow nod. Natural organics worth their weight in the outer system for hydroponics, industry, Zant said. Chang nodded back. We didn't have processing facilities on ship. Ice mining, you just grab a hold of a piece and push it out to a moon or a station. Tholins, they're dark, easy to see in the ice. If we'd pulled up to Titan Station with twenty-ton chunk of that, the market would have been ready for us. They'd set a price before we even docked. Lose us twenty percent, maybe more. So I had the idea to cut across the research station around in Clades. Process there, ship the Tholins back to Titan in tanks. Hit the market and get out before they knew the score. In Clades was far side of Saturn, so we cut across the rings. Close above the clouds. Sirius V. Flung ourselves out to the far side. We hit something over the B-ring that didn't show on sensors. Probably just a dense pocket of dust, but we were moving fast. All I knew was one minute I was watching the monitors, green down the board, and then whoosh! Half the ship was gone. Main drivers, cargo, seven crew. Left us in a spin I couldn't kill with the thrusters I had left. Left us on a course that didn't go anywhere except out. Or it shivered and you got that far-gone look she got, straight through the wall and into the deep. Long-range comms were gone. All we could do was hope Clades picked up our beacon had someone in station fast enough to catch us. Four days of that spin. Spin wouldn't let you eat, 
wouldn't let you sleep for more than a few minutes before you'd wake up convinced you were falling. All we could do was watch the view. Saturn, rings, stars. Saturn, rings, stars. The captain and I, and one remaining crew member. I'm not backed up. I'll be lost, she kept saying, round and round until we had to sedate her. Thing was, I was backed up. A full TAG back on Earth. Nothing to be scared of. Nothing to lose. I wasn't scared. I was furious. I hadn't had an update since I got into the outer system. If I died and they brought me back, I'd lose a year. I'd lose those four days spinning around the rings. And I couldn't stand the idea of losing that view. Chang's lips twitched, a quick humorless grin. We'll always want more than the tech can give us. And stupid masquerading is clever. That's the worst kind. Audra looked around the table, looking for a hint from the crew. Some eyes met hers. Some looked up at the low ceiling, sheet steel and pitted with rust. Or out through the plexi at Jupiter. If you're a restored copy, how do you know all this? She asked, like an accusation. Chang shrugged. And Cladius Station had been tracking us the entire time. Got a tug out in time to snare us. That's how the captain and I got under ice work. Stuck on Enclatus without a ship. But the oceans here on Europa were deeper. He took a sip, swallowed, and started his second story. A triangle is the strongest shape. Fact. People have known it for a long time, though it took Fuller back in the 20th to explain how the fact unfolds across what we know. I was 20. Grad school in Hong Kong. That was right after the referendum, the second independence. The first successful neuro-nano backups in HK was the heart of everything that was... everything. I was singing all night and studying all day. Drinking and drugging and dragging all night and day. No stop, no sleep. Had a boyfriend, Grant, kept me out of the worst of the trouble. Tall, always stooped over like he was looking for something he dropped. Couldn't keep his glasses on straight. He was in the planetary navigation program with me. Brilliant at it. Cheng turned his head. Looked out across Orit and the window and the plains to Jupiter. A long, quiet look for him. He was gentle in bed, generous. Never minded my nights out, even though the nights were getting longer. Morning was our time. We'd tell each other that if we could ever afford to get tagged, we'd just record one of those mornings and live in it forever. I was singing Fado. It had been an underground thing in Maku, but suddenly HK was the right place, right time, and I was big. Advertising deals, guest spots on the telenovelas, corporate sponsorship from Van Z. I had company lawyers circling me like mad moons. Sing here, be seen there, wear this, drink that. An endless supply of drugs, nano, people. Anything to keep me busy. Anything to keep me there, making money for them. So I got my own lawyer, Leslie. She was from Singapore. Tiny, quiet. You'd be sitting in a room, forget she was there, and then she'd reach a hand out, touch her shoulder. Should have been a shock, but it was like... Chang's fingers fluttered downward. Rain falling. When you hadn't realized you were hot and dry. Grant and Leslie, they started meeting evenings. Talking about me, mostly. And what I was in, and how to get me out of it. One day, Leslie was still there when I got home in the morning. Next five months. His hand settled on the table. The next five months were perfect. Leslie broke deals, made new ones... Suddenly I was getting paid for singing, money in the bank. Grant even came to the clubs to see me sing. He'd never risked the crowd on his own. The two of them would find a table near the front, and afterward I'd sit down with them, with no desire for anything, anyone, or anywhere else. Audra leaned in, whispered to Nava, Is this the kindest thing? Because he already took stupid. Nava put a finger to her lips. 
Chang gave Audra a glance. His fingers danced around the edge of a mug. Five months, he continued. And then Grant and I had our degrees. NAV certified from UHK. Any ship in the system would take us on. But Grant was talking about a Ph.D. teaching at the university. I'd sing, he said, and Leslie would make enough money to support the three of us. Enough to get us tagged. Nano-neuro backups had only hit the market a couple of years before. But the startups were booming in HK, and suddenly you only had to be filthy rich to get tagged. Those Van Z billboards were everywhere. Beautiful people doing beautiful things. And then the image would freeze with one word splashed across it. Forever. That was before the hack on the Great Basin Longstore. No reason to doubt that forever. I didn't sleep for two nights after our certifications came from the university. I walked, mostly, around and around the block. The HK night is too bright for stars and ships and moons, but I spent five years learning to do navigation in my head. No matter how I did the maths, the course just led around the block again. Forever. So I transferred all the money I had to a bank on Mars. Took a shuttle up to orbit the next morning. When I left them, they were still asleep. Leslie laid perfectly straight as always. Grant sprawled diagonal, their heads together on the pillow. Triangles. Too perfect, too strong for me. I had to fly then, go out, or never leave. He looked at Audra. So, worst thing. Audra said, You've made it out this far, and Jupiter are the sharp edge of things these days, and that's the worst you've done? I don't believe it. Regret for the view I buy, but not for the leaving. First story's the true one. She looked around at the crew. Nava smiled, sharp teeth and narrow eyes. You held her hands up, palms out. We've heard his stories. Perlman said, As you're around, just the two of you. And looked at Zant, who bit his lip and looked at the table where Chang's fingers were lit amongst the glasses. You wouldn't be the first to see the trap in neuro-nano memories, he said. A deep voice, not Perlman's rumble, higher pitched but full, like the pedal tone on an organ. You wouldn't be the first to hope the out offered more, anyway. He looked up, caught Chang's gaze in his own. This crew wouldn't take you if you'd lost the captain's ship. First one's the lie. Claps and stomps, and Patel slapped Zant on the shoulder. Might as well have slapped a stone. Audra's face fell flat, not so much a frown as indifference. Truth, you said. The first story? That's mine. I was the surviving crew member. It was the navigator who lost it, though. Terrified about being restored from backup and losing those years. That view. We didn't sedate her. She took the drugs herself. All of them. Two days before the tug caught us. Not that I wouldn't have helped her if I'd known. She more worried about losing her memories than about losing seven crew. The arrogant shit. You were staring out. Straight through Audra. Breathless. Still. Captain and I were the only ones left then. Three months on Enclades, stumbling from bar to bar, still spinning, until we met Chang, and he took us down under the ice. Chang's fingers brushed the top of Yu's hand, paused for a beat. Yu took a breath then. I was tagged too, she said. Would have been glad to lose those months, get to rediscover the outer system again, see those views again for the first time. She shrugged a millimeter motion against the ice out the window. Missed that chance. My backup was at Great Basin. All gone now. Zant pushed himself up from the table. His stick was leaning against the wall under the window. 
When he reached for it, it toppled away from him, clashed to the floor. Yu leaned down, picked it up, but Zant had already turned to limp towards the toilet. Chang took the stick from Yu. It was proportioned to Zant, long, thick, dark wood with a hint of grain. The head was massive, a dragon caught mid-snarl in stainless steel. Orit leaned across to Audra, stuck her finger into the dragon's mouth. Shit, she said, and sucked a drop of blood. Nava laughed. Always gotta stick it into everything, Orit, don't you? Orit leered around her mouthful of finger. Chang got up, set the stick by Zant's chair. It settled against the window edge with a thud. Chang tapped you on the shoulder, and they went up to the bar. So Audra, Chang said. Audra looked back at him over the rim of her glass, drained it. So, she said, gave that same flat look to the rest of the crew. Twelve and tag, Perlman said, his checklist voice. We set up, quieted down, a round of looks at each other and back to her. Cheng said, It goes like this. Someone throws out an adjective. Someone matches with a noun, starts with the same sound, or at least hits it somewhere. Six pairs, then someone sums it up with a tag. One word. It's all about impressions. Gotta be fast, Nava said. Gotta be true, Perlman grumbled. Who's first? Or it said, I got it. A pause. An arm up, fingers spread. Look at me. That was Orit. And she slapped the table and started it round. Lank. Leg. Tart. Tongue. Fast. Yeah, you wish. Flat. Doubtful, hon. Trim. Teat. Sharp. She always says sharp. Gash. Sheer. Razor. And you tagged it with... Lash. Audra followed the tag around the table from face to face with that blank stare she got, as if trying to interpret some inexplicable foreign phrase. Ended on at you for a long while, but you's face gave her nothing but you's own long look. Finally, she shrugged, looked into Zant's heavy golden frown instead. She said, Before I came on the Tethys, I was pilot on the Laylaps, out of Conmara. She's not a hunter like the Tethys. She's a mapper, nine-tenths sonar systems and a single-shift crew. Dull, dull work. We were under the ice. Nope, Chang said. Audra froze, lips pulled thin against the sibilant ice. Chin tucked into her shoulder to face Chang, who sat next to her. No stories said under the ice, Chang said. Not a good idea to lie about what goes on under the ice. Not in this bar, Nava said. One eyebrow raised, one pointed nail flicking against her glass. And we already know the truth of it, someone said softly. Audra shut her eyes, rolled them under her lids, opened them again on Chang. Telenovelos, huh? She said. A story about telenovelos? That okay? Or are there some rules you haven't mentioned? Corners of Chang's lips quirked up. Sure, Naba said. That's fine, you clarified. Telenovelos, then. And the worst thing I ever did, Audra said. Passing someone else's weaknesses off as my own. I used to play the piano. I started when I was two, so in the earliest memories I have now, I was already playing piano, and I was already good, a prodigy. There were many prodigies in Taipei, many piano prodigies, many little girl piano prodigies. We all performed in our little dresses with little bows in our hair, an endless chain of competitions, and when we weren't performing, we were practicing, or taking lessons, or reviewing video from our last recital while she took apart my playing, note by note. Audra lifted her glass. It was empty. You filled it from her own bottle. Local algae beer. Pale, green, and bitter. 
Audra downed it and grimaced. My teacher, I mean. Cold-hearted bitch. Always pushing me, never satisfied. Not just about the playing, either. It was my posture, the way I walked across the stage, my clothing, which I didn't even fucking choose. But she complained about it anyway. Not that she'd ever gotten anywhere with her playing, not since some award when she was in grade school. My father was a Russian diplomat. Mother was a translator. They were both rich, family money, though she had more. Father must have always felt a little weak because of that. Russian men, they're supposed to be strong, in charge, head of the family. But it was her city, her culture, even her apartment. We lived in one of her family's places, and Diane took up two entire floors of the building. Maybe that's why he started to beat me. I was something he could be in charge of. Any excuse would do. An A-minus on a school paper. Having one sock pulled higher than the other. Getting caught watching telenovelas out of HK. The ones with that awful pop music. Audra turned her flat stare on Chang for a moment. Blinked like she'd suddenly matched a memory. And I was such a damn good girl. I'd stand there and take it and... Audra paused, teeth tight, bobbed her head. Curtsy afterward. And go back to my fucking lessons. You had refilled Audra's glass. She took another swig, a high tide line of green scum on her lip. What is this crap? She drank again, wiped her mouth. Eight years of that. Then, practice and punishment from those first, earliest memories until the day I came up with my plan. I woke up one morning, the idea in my head. I felt so buzzed. First time I thought I understood what people meant when they said happy. It was the telenovelas that gave me the idea. All that drama, every day a new disaster, another death, just because someone's feelings were hurt. I watched them because they were funny. I'd lay there and laugh at the foolish people slipping on the same emotional banana peel over and over again. But what I realized that night was that those people weren't just funny. They were true. That's what people are really like. That's how they manipulate each other, rip each other apart with their own weakness. Like father and mother. I could do that. The next months were all flub notes and bad posture, forgotten homework and crying fits. But it didn't work. It's getting more criticism, more beatings, not less. No matter how hard I studied the videos, no matter how much I practiced in front of the mirror, I couldn't quite get that vulnerability that let you hook people, draw them in and spin them around. And then one of the novellas did a story arc on Nero Nano, the illegal kind, pirated memories. This character got addicted, started acting like she was someone else entirely. That's what I needed. Money was no problem. I'd been hacking my parents' accounts since I was eight. Turned out supply was no problem either. The big HK corporations do their manufacturing on Taiwan just to piss off the mainland. The stuff leaked out to the street, literally sometimes. The town's downwind of the plants got real strange, whole neighborhoods sharing the same strayed memory. Plenty of people willing to sell you a vial of someone else's pitiful past, even if you were a kid in knee socks, as long as you could pay. Now I had every human failing at my fingertips, not faked but real, as real as memory. After that, there were no more beatings, not for me. Punishments, yes, dinners denied, privileges suspended, and there was always that bamboo switch. But the real beatings, those stopped. It was like all those years they hadn't wanted perfection. They'd wanted weakness. The beating stopped as soon as I started crying someone else's tears. Stopped for me, that is. Not for my mother. 
I'd hear them at night, the swish and smack and grunt, and see the bruises the next day, when a collar shifted or a sleeve rode up. When I was 14, I got a full scholarship to UHK pilot program. The ship's console's not much different from the piano, really. Applied for parental emancipation the same day. Walked out the door with what I had on, left all those little dresses behind in the closet. Never went back, never saw them again. Audra stretched her shoulders back, cracked her neck, folded her arms. Never had any regrets either, but I know that after I left, Mother would be there alone with Father. The beatings would never stop. So, worst thing. Krill was silent a beat. Yu and Chang exchanged looks, then Orit scraped her chair back. Got a pee, and Patel followed, and Keita and Barb hit the bar for another round. Orit had her mouth at Nava's ear. Whisper her tongue wasn't clear from Nava's sharp smile, and Dayton, mostly drunk, was asking Zant something involved and disjointed about silicates. Perlman tapped the table, cleared his throat, a rumble like rocks falling, and said, Audra, second story. Audra had gotten something new from the bar, clear and steaming. She took a sip, frowned, said, Most painful. That's a difficult one. People let you down, and that never gets easier. But if I have to choose... I was flying shuttles back and forth between the CSG, the Centre Special Guianis, and Laplace Station. Dumb work, dull work, but the sort of thing that looks right on your CV if you're shooting for some outer system contract. A nod from you. I had a lover downside, another upside, and switched one or the other out every few months. But I never felt, she stabbed the palm with her fingertip, satiated, like eating crisps when you're hungry. You feel your belly, but not your need. Problem was, I wasn't hungry. I was thirsty. She took another sip, waved the glass. The liquid swirled, but didn't spill. Maybe that's not a good analogy. Point is, I was looking for the wrong thing. Wasn't sex. That I can handle on my own. Chuckles, a scornful snort from Keita. Or it said, gotta give me a chance. It took Tanya to show me what it was I needed, Audra continued. And then Tanya took it back. I met her on a trip upside. She was nav, first year, on her way up to a contract doing freight runs out of Laplace. We had a spare seat in the cockpit, gave her a lift, hit the bar after, talked late, talked the whole shift through, so I had to do the downside run on no sleep. Before I left, she took my hand. She was a tiny thing, her fingers barely wrapped around mine, and she pressed it against her face. Pressed it hard, and when she let go... My fingers had left pale streaks from jaw to ear. I'll be here, next time you're upside, she said. And though she'd been smiling all night, she wasn't smiling then. That next trip, those first shifts together, you don't need to know the details. Here's what it was like by the end. Here's what she took from me. I'd get to Lapless, go straight from the docking ring to meet her. Some trendy bar or new thing restaurant. I'd be in my flight overalls and she'd always have on some perfect little dress. Killer shoes, makeup so good it was invisible. How she maneuvered low G in those shoes, I never know. We'd talk, catch up on gossip, those low earth orbit routes, everyone knows everyone. Same out here, said Nava with her sharp-edged smile. Audra gave her a flat look. We'd eat and drink and talk for a couple of hours, and the whole time Tanya would be working it. She knew exactly when to cross her legs, or brush her hair back, or lean low to adjust the strap of her shoe but she could focus it like a laser. It was never someone local, 
But Laplace was a busy place, and there was always some random person in transit. Not really random, though. She'd pick the sort we both despised. The earther businessman, sweaty and pink and trying to hide his low-G hard-on. Or a rich bitch from one of the orbital colonies, with those stupid balloon implants inflated as far as they'd go. I'd watch her watch them, like she was slicing them into millimeter slabs for skinning. Sometimes she'd take a hit of Nano, tweak herself to match their need. She had a bigger selection in that tiny purse than most dealers, but mostly she could hook them without that tweak. She'd catch their eye, look away. That was all it took. They'd sit down at our table, or she'd slip into theirs, while I sat there unnoticed. She'd bought me this little switchblade in the lapless gift shop. I'd carve little figures out of a toothpick, line them up like an audience to watch her work. At some point, there was never a signal, not that even I could tell. She'd just get up and walk out. The mark would sit there waiting for her to return. If there was more than one of them, they'd joke about women and restrooms or swap notes on her makeup. But after a while, they'd start to realize that she wasn't coming back. You could see it, like their faces were hollowing out from the back. Then they'd crack, and they'd crumble. I sat and watched that for a moment, but their faces fell away, and all that was left was an empty, shallow shell. Tanya would be waiting for me at my apartment, dress and shoes in a heap by the door head down over the console I'd bought her. In that half hour since she'd gotten back from the bar, she'd have already hacked their personal accounts. Just that one conversation she'd had with them, their name, their business, maybe a glance at their phone while they were in the bar. That was all it took for Tanya to hack their lives as thoroughly as she had hacked their so-called personalities. We didn't steal from them, not money anyway. Sometimes we'd delete a couple of photos or a mailbox folder, something they wouldn't miss for months then miss very, very much. Sometimes we'd copy a file or two. Tanya was growing some sort of crazy database of identities. And sometimes there was just nothing worth deleting, and we'd add a file instead, so they'd know we'd been there, had seen everything they had and were. Sometimes we fucked after. Sometimes I'd tell her what a bad, bad girl she was and spank her. Sometimes we just held each other. No matter what, though, after, I was full. Content. Finally satisfied, because what she did, the way she wrapped the marks up with her own emotions, laid their lives at my feet, showed them up as empty shells they were, she did that for me. And then one day, no signal, no tell, she just got up and walked. She had been working me all night. We did that sometimes, pretended we were strangers, all part of the game. It was hot in the bar and she was sweaty, pushy, rude. I turned to order another round and when I turned back, she was gone. Waited in the damn room all shift. Stayed there right through my next scheduled trip, and the next. Got a demerit for that in my flight record. She left me there, cracked and crumbled. Just another mark. She took the console, the dress, and shoes she was wearing that night. Left everything else. Still have her crap in a storage locker on Lapless. Before I met her, I was always needing something, but I didn't know what it was. After she left me, I knew what it was I needed. I just couldn't have it. Audra looked around the table, ending on Chang. That's pain. Or it said, Second one's the lie. You're too lean to be a top, too strong. She traced a finger down Audra's arm. Tops are weak. And Patel waggled battle fingers, echoed, Second's the lie. But you shook her head, small, economical motions. That was you, and said, First one's the lie. Her mother beat her, not her father, not the teacher. Beat the father, too, still does, if they're both still alive. You looked at Audra. I know the type, she said. 
It went around the table then, skipping Audra, six votes against the first, four against the second, until it came to Zant. Zant stared ahead, off over Chang's shoulder. One long breath. Two. Then his head shifted, a huge effort fighting the inertia of the gaze, but it came around, ground to a stop on Perlman. What's the rule when both stories are lies? Zant asked. Perlman raised a brow, dropped the corner of his mouth to counter. That was a look he used when a diagnostic came up wrong on ship or a sensor pinged unexpectedly. You call fault, Chang answered. Zant swung that gaze over and down to the navigator. Chang's eyes flicked up into it and away again. Fault, then, Zant said. Both lies. Makes it six to four against the first, then, Nava said. She'd voted against the second. We get it? Audra nodded, looked at you, looked into her glass. It was mother. She was my teacher. Beat my father, too. You got that right. He was weak. A fucking failure. Deserves it. She shoved back from the table. My round. Someone help carry. A scrape and shuffle. Some crew to the bar and some to the back. Toilet and stretching of legs gone stiff. Ord and Nava drifted to a dark corner. Nava's grin gleaming over Orit's shoulder. Perlman and Chang looked across the table at Zant. Yu was standing by the window looking out, but head turned listening. Where was the lie? Perlman asked. In the second story, he means, Chang explained, watching his own fingers trace the rim of a glass. What was it you heard? Zant swung his head, stared at a spot on Chang's chest. Finally, he said, It was all false. Just a game to her. Stolen memories. Appropriated emotions. Doesn't mean it. Doesn't feel it. You said, apparently to the window, There are words for that. Sociopath is one. Perlman rumbled uncertainty. A hard word, that. You said, She's still got those vials. Bootleg TAG vectors. Hidden under a false bottom in her toiletries bag. The vials are labeled things like laughing, kneecap, bimbo, uncertainty, play stupid. Should have come to me, Perlman said, a frown more hurt than angry. I just found out this morning, when we were getting prepped for shore leave, she didn't see me sitting there in the head. I can be quiet, Perlman grunted. She unzipped the bottom of her bag, picked through the vials like she was choosing a shirt to wear. Guess she didn't find the one that fit her mood. She finally put them all back. I figured out the false bottom while she was in the shower. One vial was almost empty. It was labeled, Trust. Trust her, or trust others? Perlman asked. Yu was still looking out the window, so he turned to Chang, whose fingers had pushed the clutter of mismatched bottles into a circle at the center of the table. Trust the crew, Chang said. Don't have to be straight under the ice. Don't have to be all the way... human. Not in the outer system. Just have to fit. The crew will know. Not all the way human, you echoed. She'd spread her fingers against the plexiglass as if she could hold the view in her hand. The TAG capture process uses viral systems based on your open organisms. I've got that in me. Just having a backup at all. Does that really leave us human? More or less, Chang said. Perlman blinked in confusion. You laughed softly, looked over her shoulder at the chatter of glass on glass. Zant had retrieved his glass from Chang's circle, just tap water, and drained it. Two years since the hack, since the great basin long store was erased, he said. So where does that leave you? Here, Chang said. We tumbled back to the table, red and raucous. Dayton had his shirt off and was wringing it out. 
What goes down must come up, Barb said, and Sintra added, Man, he spewed. Patel was sent to the corner with a glass of ice water to break up Orid and Nava, who spluttered and laughed, and joined Dayton in the shirt ringing. Perlman tapped the table again. Zant! Zant sat opposite Chang and Audra, pinned between the window and the next table. Everyone shuffled their chairs, made him center. Twelve and tag, Orit said. I got, but Perlman rumbled right over her. Mass. Moves. Thick. Thigh. Sweet. Orit and Nava elbow each other. Swung. Hung. Head. Coil. Crown. Blunt. A sharp look from Chang. Brow. And Audra, slumped in her chair, tagged it with black. Zant looked at her for a long time, his eyes, skin, hair, all flat, tarnished gold in the Jupiter light. The crew was caught in that heavy silence, all except Chang's fingers amongst the glasses. I don't know if this is the worst, stupidest, most painful. I'm not sure it matters. Something I do know, I'm an addict. I don't use, haven't in twelve years, still an addict. Dad was, too. Alcohol for him. Made it himself, like most out there in the free state. Southern African Republic, part of the old South Africa, and the Boer state before that. Empty place. Had a sister, half-sister. TJ, we called her. TJ was five years younger, daughter of my nanny. My mother died bearing me. TJ was tiny, dark, like her mother, Indian. But she got her blood from my father. The need. Nano with her. I could never stand it. Machines in your brain tracing out someone else's memories. I wanted less to think about, none more. We'd found an outbuilding on the range. Relay station for remote harvesters. Made it our own. Scavenged furniture. My music, TJ's console. My bioprinter with the latest drug in her hacked nano. She'd be laughing, not even looking, it seemed. But the needle would slip in true, and her head would go back and her laughter would go deep and wild. Mrs. Van Zant, we tried to stay out of her way, as much as Dad would allow that, which wasn't much. We lived in the main house, ate at the main table with them. They're mine, he'd tell his wife. We were his like the house was his, like the land and the folks who worked it, and Miss Bloody Van Zant. TJ and I, we were a little more his than the rest. He'd had us tagged when I was thirteen, and TJ was just seven. Nava interrupted with a snort. Can't back up a kid. We groaned and Orit punched her in the shoulder for bollocksing the game. Nava did that sometimes, harpoonist reflexes. It's in the UN Neural Rights Charter, Nava grumbled. But Chang was shaking his head, an odd look on his face. You can if you have enough money and the right connections. You can tag anyone you want, if you own the technology. You nodded her small, slow nod, Van Zant. Van Z Incorporated. Half the boats under the ice got a contract with Van Z, Perlman said. You said, Van Z is material science, nano, patents for smart cloth, adaptive armor, weapons. She looked at Cheng, T-A-G Tech. Cheng was very still. The Grand Basin Long Store, he said. Not a lot of rules in the free state, Zant said. And when no one else interrupted, he continued. Dad was the only Van Zant. We were just Zants, and he had us, body and soul, and the souls locked away at Grand Basin out of reach, forever. TJ was my sanity, all through those years, she was my soul. No matter how high she got, how out there, she was my center. Every moment we had away from the work, from my father, we were together. 
out in our hideaway, out of our heads and out of one of those shared immersion games in our console. I'd just stagger around staring at the scenery and TJ, she'd have hacked the environment, argyle skies and faces floating like clouds, staring back down at us like Dad did when we were little. Scare the crap out of the other players. She'd hack their accounts as well, but their own parents' faces up there too, or whatever would shake them the hardest. She could hack people like she hacked machines. One day, I was 18. Came in from a two-day trip out mending fences and she was gone. She'd left everything. Left me a note. Not gonna tell you what it said. Guess this isn't most painful I'm telling. Because that was the most painful moment. Then. And I'm not yet done. I got her tag, Dad said. Little bitch won't last long out there and if she does go underground, I'll have her declared dead. Then I restore a copy and this copy I'll take special care of. Doesn't mean he wasn't furious. I was too big to beat by that time, so we took it out on Mira. That was TJ's mother. She left him after that. We all did eventually. Steal ourselves from him. Even if he had our souls. I paused then. Orit leaned into Nava's ear, but Nava stopped her with a hand. Wrapped her arm around Orit's shoulders to hold her still. I stuck there another year and a half. Got my certificate in soil science from the technical school. Turned that into a scholarship in Cape Town. Three-year programming and mining. Turning that into a research grant from the Outer System Mining Consortium. A year of study on Luna, then a free ticket out. Dust the earth off my feet and never look back. Because I knew that's where TJ would be. Out. She was always sure, always fearless, was what I thought. The way she could suck down other people's memories. She'd be hungry for her own. And she'd studied. We were teleschooled in those hours in the outbuilding while I was listening to tunes and drifting. She'd have her tablet on her lap. Out of her head in someone else's, but still studying. Learning is just hacking my own brain, she'd say. Easy. It was for her. So all that time in Cape Town and Chicago, catching up with my classes, I was trying to catch up with her. She'd be a pilot or nav, something like that. University program or military. Only a couple of dozen schools on Earth do that sort of training. Should have been easy to find her. Wasn't. I'd have figured she was dead if it wasn't for the message every few months. The whole family got him, and copies to the TAG board, the Free State Court. They were always addressed to Dad. Each one signed with a notarized DNA hash. Each one untraceable. Each one just a single word. Alive. Or it made a sound like a hiccup. Nava turned her head with a sharp look ready. Saw Orit's face and wrapped her other arm around her instead. I was on Lapless Station on my way back to Luna after a seminar in Chicago. Walked into a dark, crowded bar. Smaller, tighter in this place here. Zant looked at Yu's shoulder, seeing something else. We shouldn't have been able to recognize each other. I was ten centimeters taller, wider. She was thinner. Wouldn't have seemed possible, her dark skin gone that dull space tan and bruises under the makeup. But I saw her. Soon as I walked in there, I knew her. She knew me. I'd been right about the NAV degree, wrong about the course. She was training under a corporate contract, slogging through it the slow way like I was. I was also wrong about the sure and fearless. She was strong, yeah, but it was her father's sort of strength, stubborn and thin. I'd quit the drugs when she left. Was no high without her. But she was still using the new stuff coming out of Luna. Synthetic memories, psychotic break in a bottle. I thought she'd headed out, but she was just going deeper in. She was using another way, too. Using people. Selling herself to afford this stuff. She'd done tricks, she told me, to get through training. But she'd found a better way, got herself a sugar mama up on lapless. 
All the money she needed, a place to crash, a place to use. It's stable, she said. It's safe. It's just like the outbuilding back home, and all it cost was bruises. A little blood. Just like back home. Dad's blood didn't just have the need in it. Had the anger, too. I shouted, called her a fool, called her his daughter. Worst thing I knew how to say. Told her she had to come with me back to Luna to get clean. My company had open positions. Always open positions for the outer system. She'd come back to Luna with me, and we'd go out together. Stood there at the dock the next shift. Sure I'd blown it. Sure she wouldn't come back, but she did. No suitcase. Just a purse full of a memory stick, wearing a little black dress and useless shoes. First month on Luna, I thought things were good. She was in program, detox, had papers signed with my company for work in the belt once we got certified. Not in my same division, but we'd be seeing each other once a month or so. She spent all her money on a new console, on a crazy expensive inter-system network node. But I was making enough to cover rent and food for us both. Came home early one shift. She was passed out on her console, needle in her hand. Set her in the shower, got her conscious, shouted at her. Kept my hands down, felt proud of myself for that. She was just a wisp, you'd snap like that. Hadn't been eating. I thought it had been the detox, but it was just the nano again. We shouted a while, and then we talked, and then we shouted again. I'm using it, she kept saying. I'm almost in. What's in, I said. We're going out. So go, dad, she said, and plugged into her console. Wasn't going to be my dad. Wasn't. So put my hands in my pockets and went. Found a place to crash by the shuttle port, food out of the vending machines and no booze. Just a lot of thinking, remembering those days in our hideaway back home, remembering the sound of her laughter. Decided that's what I'd tell her. That I didn't own her, no one did. Tell her that all I wanted was to hear her laugh again, and anything else she did wasn't my business. Even after I figured that out, I didn't want to go back to the apartment, not right away. I went through what I was going to say, what she might say back. Practiced until I made sure I could get it right, could handle anything she came back with without getting mad. It was almost three weeks later when I went back to the apartment. April 7th, 2084. You said something too quiet for us to hear. Of course she wasn't there when I got back. Just her console. The display was flashing and I thought it might be a message for me. That's what I told myself anyway. To justify plugging in and scrolling back through the history buffer. When I realized what I was seeing, I pulled the console apart. And fed it handful at a time into the garbage disposal. Silence. You and Chang exchanged a long, sad look, and then Chang explained it for the rest of us. The date of the hack on Grand Basin Longstore. Every TAG in the system was scrambled beyond recovery. Audra fumbled amongst the bottles, found one with something left in it, and downed it. Leaned back again, hands in pockets. Station security called while I was still sweeping up the pieces. They'd found her outside an airlock. No suit. Just that little dress, those shoes. She made it too... Three steps out. Zant straightened, a ponderous unfolding, his focus coming in from somewhere far to land straight across the table at Audra. I booked a ticket back to Earth, to the free state, but Dad was already dead by the time I got there. Massive stroke. Took that corporate contract then, been working the outer system ever since. Been searching again, too. Knew TJ's new name by then, made it easier to track where she'd been. Cortoeg. Tanya Cortweg. TJ had found a way out I couldn't follow. Least I could do was track down her god-forever damn sugar mama from Lapless, the soulless sociopathic bitch who'd held the door open for her. 
Everything hung. Yu stared at Audra. Nava held Orit. Chang looked at Zant and said, No. Audra pushed back, pulled her hands out of her pockets, a flash of something in the Jupiter light. Zant stood, his chair tipped, clattered against the table behind. Blur of steel, a slap of wood on flesh as he flipped his cane, grabbed it by the end. The table scraped forward as he leaned into it, glasses tipped, cracked, crashed into the floor. The cane then went up and around and down. A second when it looked like those dragon teeth would end up buried in Audra's temple. But Chang had seen it coming, raised a hand. Fingers cracked, flapped, didn't stop the stick, no way to stop the stick. But he slowed it, and Audra shoved her long legs down and got a shoulder up. There was a wet smack of ligament displaced and skin torn, a hiss as if her breath had been forced out of her by the blow. She continued the motion, foot upon her chair, spiraling up and around. Her hip crunched glass as she came down across the table. There was a gleam in her fist connected with Zant's ear, a meaty scrunch, and then Audra half slid, half rolled off the table onto her feet. Zant stood for a second, not volition but inertia, then he toppled forward onto the ruin of the table. A short black hilt protruded from his ear, a finger's width of steel switchblade. A bottle hit the floor, rolled to a stop under the window. Pearlman was the only one still sitting. He looked at Audra where she stood at the end of the table. Arm hung limp at her side. Leave, he said, before station security arrives. She stared at him, held up a bloody hand. My arm, I need... To leave, Perlman said. Europa, Jupiter, get out or in. Nothing for you here anymore. Stories have a way of getting around, Nava said. It was self-defense, she said. But Perlman shook his head. Audra looked at the crew one at a time, still trying to figure us out. Us humans. Chang, broken fingers cradled fluttering against his chest, explained almost gently, You'll need someone to testify on your behalf. You need backup. Or it said, with what was almost a laugh. Audra looked toward the bar. No one there returned her gaze. She nodded, then blinked down at the body. Fucked up is his sister. Must run in the blood. She turned towards the door and didn't look back. Nava picked slivers of glass off her shirt. Gotta have words with the captain, she said. He missed something there, hiring those two. Sure didn't want either of them on our crew. Yu tilted her head, her own small shrug, and said, Captain trusts us to catch the deep stuff. Why we're here. We all nodded. Looking down at Chang's shattered hand, you added, Can't catch everything, though. Sometimes you just have to get out of the way. Chang grimaced, shook his head. I've tried that before and it didn't work. Anyway, she was crew up until she pulled the knife. Or it spread her fingers out over the body and said, Too bad he didn't get to the second story. Herman got to his feet, shook his head, rumbled. He did. Nava said, stupidest for sure and Chang tagged it fault they were both true there you go don't forget copyright is most certainly Gregory Bossett's Greg thank you so much for that and Jonathan big thank you big thank you indeed Oh man, just Jimmy, who, someone who can kind of just start a kind of new. Greg started a kind of new hobby, a new kind of little almost income there at the age of forty-seven. Just, I love that. You know what I mean? A friend or a kind of little drinking partner. Do you know what I mean? Kind of <laughs> who was a little bit older than forty-seven, took up golf. Do you know what I mean? And just loves it. Then I love kind of 
that's what I kind of, I love doing new things. And when I hear about other people doing new things as well, do you know what I mean? Like I say, just with these these little videos, you know what I mean? It's like a big learning curve, but just to do something different. I love it. You know what I mean? I'm always kind of trying new things. If you want to try a new thing, sponsor the show. Oh, is that a lingo? Oh, man. Yeah, sponsor the show. Come over and help it run. Starship's over. That would be fantastic. We need some donations at the moment. At the moment that would be absolutely fantastic. Until next time, I'd just like to say good night from me. Will our heroes survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of Starship Sofa. Evacuation procedure initiated. Set for launch. Airlock will be opened in three, two, one. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.